Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God and make him known. This is our commission. This is our command. This is our calling. This is our privilege. This is discipleship. Well, good evening, Mosaic at WDW. How's everybody doing tonight? All right. Uh, I, I get some group woos, so I figure everything is well in all of our worlds, right? I don't know if I'll ever get this chance, but one day I'd like to study, you know, group dynamics and like crowd dynamics and just the propensity that people have to respond in some way, which is so arbitrary to someone who is speaking to them. How are you doing? Woo! What does that mean? We have no idea. We have no idea, but it is great to be together tonight as the people of God. I hope that you're able to engage in conversations with one another tonight that are uh, more deep than the level of how are you and woo. But um, uh, already tonight, it's been great to be together, to worship God, to open up our hearts uh, to him uh, through song. And, and tonight, as we open up his word, uh, what I'm excited about is continuing this journey uh, that that video kind of unfolds for us, that that discipleship at Mosaic, what is unfolding here as we step into, uh, just for us, a bit of a new paradigm as to what it means uh, to engage in becoming a follower of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be doing this as a three-week series before we jump back into preaching through uh, the New Testament texts. But uh, last week, Danny shared with us just the importance of understanding the biblical story of who God is and who he's invited us to be, who he's made us to be, and, uh, and the beauty that when we understand the story that he's unfolding and we recognize where we fit into that and we are obedient to live that out, how much that changes our life, uh, how much that completely reorients us around uh, his desires for us and his ways. And that's where we started last week, that to be a disciple to be a follower of Jesus, we have to know the story of Jesus, the story of God, who he is and what he's done and how we fit into that story and, and, and walk that, the journey of this life out. Uh, this week, we're talking about Christian belief, Christian belief. Uh, and, and we're going to get into that tonight. I'm super excited. Next week, we're going to talk about Christian practice. Uh, and so for us at Mosaic, we're recognizing that the journey of discipleship uh, is kind of defined in this way, that discipleship is a lifelong journey of knowing God and making him known through embracing these three things, the biblical story, Christian belief, and Christian practice in community. So that's how we're defining discipleship as a church together, uh, that it's the, the lifelong journey of knowing God and making him known through embracing the biblical story, Christian belief, and Christian practice within community. And so we've defined a disciple as simply a person. A disciple of Jesus is one who goes on that lifelong journey of knowing God and of making him known. That's our calling. That's our command. That's our commission. That's our invitation to, to embark on that journey of knowing God and making him known. 
And so I'm excited tonight as we launch in uh, to this idea of Christian belief, because we live in a world uh, that everyone kind of says, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and that's okay. And where we do want to give people the honor and the dignity of being able to be autonomous creatures who can make decisions for themselves and have a mind for themselves, we also have to recognize as followers of Jesus that what Jesus said about himself is that he's the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so Jesus uh, gives us truth. It is embodied in himself, but he gives us the truth of his word so that we can look at the world around us and define the world based on God's terms as, as God is the creator of this world rather than defining the world on our own terms. There's a theologian and a pastor. He's uh, uh, long since passed away, but his name is A.W. Tozer. Anybody ever heard of A.W. Tozer? Uh, if you ever get a chance to read any of his content, man, he was just incredibly used by God. Uh, a couple of books that I would specifically commend to you. Number one is called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It will wreck your heart in the best way possible. And uh, the second one is called The Knowledge of the Holy. It's about the attributes of God. I want to share with you something he said from the knowledge of the holy that I think is so important for us and it'll ground our conversation together tonight. Uh, what, what he says in the knowledge of the holy, it's in the introduction of the book is he's getting ready to talk about the attributes and who God is, the things that we know to be true about God, that God is creator, that he's sovereign, that he is uh, unchanging, all of those types of things that we see coming from the scripture. Here's what A.W. Tozer says. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a very profound statement. Just let that sit with you for just a moment. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want everybody to maybe just, we'll just just do a little experiment together. Let's close our eyes together if you're comfortable doing that. And I'm gonna say a word and I want you to think to yourself what comes to your mind. I'm gonna say this word, God. What comes into your mind when you think about God as the most important thing about you? You can open your eyes if you haven't already. Um, and, and, and the reality is, is that many of us, what comes into our minds when we think about God, it's been informed by so many different things, right? It's been informed by our upbringings. Maybe it's been informed by uh, things that have, have been taught to us. Maybe it's been informed by some relationship that we have. Maybe it's been informed uh, by things we've learned in our, a cultural context or in an educational setting or uh, a class we took. But what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The reason for that is A.W. Tozer goes on to say that whatever we think of when we think of God determines the way that we relate to him the way we relate to the world around us, the way we relate to other people who are made in God's image. And so what we think of when we think about God dictates the way we relate to God. So we can't possibly worship God, the one true God, unless we know who that God is. So often what happens is we fashion an image in our mind when we think about God and we relate to God based on that image. Here are some ways that people often think about God and then they relate to God based on that image. Maybe they think about God as like a cosmic co-pilot. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? 
it makes me like just want to just like press the gas when I'm behind somebody at the stoplight because that's my fleshly, fleshly sinful response. You know what I'm saying? Guys, friends, family, church, God is not your co-pilot. Okay. He, if anything, is the pilot. Actually, he is the one who invented the technology to make the plane and the physics and the, to, to make the plane fly. He's the one that, that made the materials and he, he's the one that created the humans to make uh, to, to have brains, the Wright brothers, to discover the invention of the airplane and to, and to fly the fact, the mere fact that it's even happening is because God has made it possible for us. That he is not just our co-pilot, like some, some guy that's sitting in, you know, our, uh, making sure that the, the compass is, is, you know, working and all the dials are working. And like, we're, he, we're just like checking with him like, Hey, I, I think I'm doing a great job. Am I right? No, God's a sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. He made you. He made me. He made everything in this world. And there's no one like him. Maybe people think about God as like an angry bearded ruler up in the sky, throwing down lightning bolt, like a, like a Zeus type figure. Maybe he's a far off God. He's not really involved with creation until you really, really mess up. People think about God is maybe just someone who's super disappointed in them and they can never get things right. Maybe think about uh, someone who is busy with bigger issues. Maybe there's a, a hurricane bearing down uh, on the Gulf, Co- Gulf Coast, for instance, uh, and perhaps God is way too busy thinking about that and dealing with that to engage in our personal journey and our story. There are so many ways that we think of God. There are so many things that come to our mind when we think of God and what Tozer is trying to get at is that when we think about God and it's not who God is, when we fabricate an image of what we think God might be like and it doesn't come from how he has revealed himself to actually be, then we fashion a God of our own invention. And then when we worship that, it's actually idolatry. Wow. See, God is a God who he cares about how we relate to him. It matters to him how we relate to him. Now, it doesn't affect him if we relate to him wrongly. It doesn't make him any less God. He's not like whimpering in a corner, cowering out of just sadness because we didn't give him his just due. But he wants us to relate to him rightly because you know what? That's the best thing for you and for me. You know, God's not some sort of egomaniac. His glory is the best thing for you and me. So when we glorify him, we're actually engaging in what is best for us as his created beings. And so God wants us to rightly relate to him. And maybe it's not a a false view necessarily of God, but maybe we just have placed God in the wrong uh, order in our life. Maybe we're placing other things either, you know, equal to God in our lives or where other things go above God in our lives. And we relate to him in that way. I have a two-year-old daughter, two and a half. Her name is Haddon. I don't know what, what year we're going to stop saying half, maybe 20, 20 and a half. We'll stop at that point, but she's two and a half. What I love about that age is that they're able to like melt your heart with kindness and sweetness in one moment and be 100% rotten the very next moment. And like with no in between, I love that age. We have another uh, child at home. She's three months old. She didn't do anything. She just poops and cries and sleeps. Um, she pees too. But um, we have these two, two daughters. And, 
Yesterday, I kid you not, this, I didn't like fabricate this story just for the purpose of this message. Like this actually happened in real life. Uh, yesterday, uh, you should be wondering, do you do that often, Joel? No, we don't. We don't do that. But um, Haddon walks in. Uh, she's my two and a half year old. She walks in, which obviously the three month old didn't walk in. And uh, she, she looks at me and she says, I love you, daddy. She looked at her mom and said, I love you, mommy. She looked at her sister, Piper, and said, I love you, Piper. And I promise, without skipping a beat, she looked over to the closet and said, I love you, closet. (laughs) So for like a few seconds, she really had me going there. You know what I'm saying? Just this beautiful little little daughter coming to her father and to her mother and to her sister and to her family and just saying, I love you so much. And my heart is just melting until I realize I'm basically on par with an inanimate object called a closet. You know what I'm saying? And I think so often we end up relating to God in similar ways to Haddon relating to me and to her mom and to her sister. We, we go to God and we say, yeah, I love you, God. Sunday night, we're worshiping Jesus. and Open up your word. Man, God, I love you. Then we go home and we open up, you know, Netflix or we open up whatever else. Man, I love this show. <laughs> and then we order pizza and it's like, yeah, I love pizza. And, you know, we have a, a you know, maybe a, a significant other we really love or we have a, 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 you know, a pursuit, a desire, a dream that we really love, maybe a career goal that we really love. And we've got all of these loves and things that God has created, good things that God has, has created. He's created uh, friends and family. He's created career goals as opportunities for us to engage with. He, he's created uh, food and he's created all of these beautiful things that we can enjoy. And, and, and that's part of his grace to all of his creation. And yet, so often we place the order of our loves with creation above creator where we worship the creation rather than or superseding the creator. And so what comes to our minds when we think about God matters so much because it will help us order our worship of him. We'll be able to have him first and foremost and supreme. When we rightly think about God, he will be first on our hearts and our hearts are very, very, very tricky. John Calvin said that the human heart is like an idle factory. John Calvin's a pastor who lived about 500 years ago, incredible theologian. Pastor's been using his commentaries for 500 years. And he said that the human heart, it's like an idle factory. The human heart is just producing idols over and over and over again. And and today they're not fashioned after birds and uh, reptiles and the sun or the moon or the stars. Today, they're fashioned after celebrities and sports stars. They're fashioned af- after our political parties. They're fashioned after, uh, you know, all sorts of things, money, comfort, safety, convenience, that, that our human heart is fashioning these idols for us all the time. And people say like, just follow your heart. That's a bad idea. <laughs> the Bible says your heart is deceptive above all things. And it needs to be conformed to who God has called us to be. It needs to be conformed into God's image. And so John Calvin pointing out the human heart like an idol factory is so true. Uh, another pastor and theologian with whom you are familiar, he led us in worship tonight, Zach, Zach Olson said this week, 
He said that the influencers of our culture are the assembly line workers in the factory. Oh, think about that for a second. I'm going to repeat that. So if the human heart is the idol factory, Zach said that the, the influencers of our culture, they're like little factory workers along the assembly line. And if we think about it, we are constantly being influenced by the culture around us. In fact, not only are we being influenced, I would go as far to say is that people, even we are being indoctrinated. But the question is into whose doctrine? Advertising a multi-billion dollar industry where people are paid to influence us via social media, uh, via all sorts of other types of advertising on the internet, uh, advertising when we drive down the road, advertising with push notifications on our phone or text message marketing, whatever it may be. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And on social media, if you're really good at it, what do you get? You get to become a social media influencer, right? Because the reality is, is that we are constantly being influenced. We're constantly being, being bombarded by all, all kinds of messages about who we believe the world is calling us to be. Messages about body image and what the, the, the types of things that we should possess and own, uh, the, the things that we should be buying, spending our money on, our time, attention, uh, our pursuits, all of these things are being constantly uh, uh, put and dangled right in front of our eyes, being, being uh, just constant and, and absolutely, there's no way to get around it in our culture, right? There's no way to get around this advertising. I love clicking like opt out. That's like my favorite. The unsubscribe button is like one of my favorite buttons in the world because it's unavoidable and we're constantly bombarded with it. And it does absolutely shape the way we think and it shapes the way we feel about the world around us. And so the question is, if we're constantly being bombarded, if we're constantly being indoctrinated, then how in the world is this level of indoctrination affecting us in the church? And the answer is it's affecting us quite a bit. In fact, if we think that just if, if this is all that we get for our spiritual uh, experience in a given week, just a few minutes together, maybe 90 minutes together on a Sunday evening, if this is all we're getting out of our spiritual walk with God. Well, guess what the rest of the world gets? 24 hours a day, six days a week. And on one day, they only get 90 minutes taken out. You know what I'm saying? And so if we're being bombarded by this, if we're being affected by this, then the only way that we can stand against this reality is by engaging in discipleship. Because discipleship is the lifelong journey of following after Jesus and living for him, embracing the biblical story Christian belief and Christian practice in the midst of community. It's learning what it looks like to follow after Jesus in the midst of others who can help us do the same thing. And the reality is, is that the world around us does affect what we believe in. It affects us even in the church. I, I want us to hear this. And it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit crazy to think about, but in 2018 Lifeway research uh, did a, a research project called the state of theology or doctrine. This research was meant to help local churches understand the current theological temperature of the church and the results are pretty sobering. Here's what it says. The church is confused about who God is. Well, that's a problem. If the most important thing about us is what we think of when we think of God 
And the church, and this is talking about the American church, the church is confused as to who God is. That's a problem. We're starting off in a rough spot immediately, but it goes on. Who God is, what it means to be an image bearer of God, who Christ is, what sin is, what salvation is, and so much more. For example, we can see that American Christians are largely confused about the person of Christ. Like, how can you be a Christian confused about Christ? When asked to agree or disagree with the statement, Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God, which is a fourth century heresy known as Arianism, 78% of American Christians agreed. Let me just share, just if you hear nothing else tonight, this will be worth your coming. Jesus is not a created being. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him. And he holds everything together. Jesus is God. He's co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit. Our God is Trinity. He is Father. He is Son. He is Holy Spirit. There's one God, three eternal persons, and none of them were created. (laughs) But this is massively important to our faith. And in America, we're generally confused. That's so sad. The church is also largely confused with the exclusivity of Christ. When asked to agree or disagree, that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 51% of American Christians agreed. One final example. When asked to agree or disagree, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. A heresy known as Pelagianism. 52% of American Christians agreed. So all disciples believe doctrine, just not always Christian doctrine. Doctrineless disciples cannot love God because they do not know him. See, I know a lot of times when we're talking about like Christian belief and we're thinking about words like doctrine and theology, a lot of times we think of like, man, that's kind of stuffy. That's like in a classroom. Like, I just want to like have my heart, like love God, you know? But like, what does it mean? Love God. Like, what God are you talking about? Right? Like this stuff matters. Understanding who God is, what we believe about God matters desperately. It matters greatly. Jen Wilkin points points out this. She says, uh, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And I think she hit, hit that right on the head. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment, I were to describe my wife to you. And for those of you who don't know my wife, I might be able to get away with this. But if you know my wife, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll pick up on something pretty quick. If I were to say to you, my wife is five foot two. She's got red hair. She loves playing sports. Uh, she's really outdoorsy. Uh, her favorite show on TV is The Bachelor. Um, her, her name is Lauren. She's great. Some of you would be like, all right. Others, and you might be like, The Bachelor, really? Um, you should be saying, The Bachelor, really? But anyway, uh, I digress. So if you know Lauren, anybody know Lauren in, in the house? Anybody know my wife? Um, does that describe her remotely? Not remotely. My wife is five foot seven. Uh, she has blonde hair. Uh, she, is, uh, she is athletic, but sports is not her favorite thing. Uh, she does like 
some TV shows, but The Bachelor is her very least favorite show of all time uh, on planet Earth. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Star Trek would be like worse for her, you know? Uh, and I'm a big Next Generation fan, you know what I'm saying? So I can nerd out with the best of them. But, but that's my wife. And if you were to be, if you were to say like, Joel, tell me about your wife. And I describe to you someone who is just like, not even her. Wouldn't you be right to question if I actually care about and love her? Yet we assign all of these attributes to God. Like he's our co-pilot. You ain't going to find that. In the way that he has self-disclosed to us who he is. He's described who he is. That God is Trinity, that he's one God in three persons, that God is omnipotent, which means he's all powerful. There's no one beside him, that God is omniscient. He knows everything, the the end from the beginning. He's not just like up in heaven going, ooh, what's going to happen next? That, That he's omnipresent, which means there's nothing that's created heaven, earth, or under the earth that does not find itself in him. That God is sovereign. That he's not just hoping things are working out, but he has a definite plan which he is able to accomplish and he promises that he can. And so we know that God is trustworthy. These are the attributes. These are some of the attributes of our eternal wonderful, beautiful, and glorious God. And there is no one like him. No one compares to him. Nothing can stand beside him. Nothing should be able to compete for the affection of our heart. God should be on the throne of our heart and everything else should be vanquished in comparison to God. He's not weak. He's not limp. He's not just hoping things are going to, to, to work out. But he's powerful and he's mighty and he's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. This is our God. And so when we think about God, when we describe God, we should be using words that the scripture gives us to, to, to speak of him. When we describe God, we should be describing things that Jesus showed us. Jesus said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. That if we know who Jesus is, then we know what God is like. The author of Hebrews says that in the old times, God would speak through the mouth of the prophets. But now he has spoken to us through his son. And so Jesus has demonstrated and embodied for us who God is and what God is like. God is a God who is full of love for us. And what does that love mean? How do we define that love? Oh, God is love. He just wants me to be happy. No, that is not the gospel. But the gospel is that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. See, this is our God. This is who he is. This is how he's revealed himself to us. And we ought to give him our hearts. We ought to give him our affection. He's worthy of it. He's more than worthy of it. He's worthy of more glory than we could ever imagine. And so this is not in any way a time where we get together and I just stand up here on the stage and tell you that you don't love God well enough. Because let me, let me just like, I can jump in one of those seats and say, me too. Me too. 
Because it is so easy for us to forget the goodness and the reality of who God is in our everyday lives, right? We can take moments to consider the greatness and the goodness of our God, and we can be overwhelmed by that. And then we can walk away and just forget, right? That we can walk away and the cares of this world, the temptations of this life are are shining and sparkling before us. and And it becomes so easy to forget. And so the way that we engage in worshiping God as he deserves to be worshiped, which is what's best for us anyway, as we engage in the journey of discipleship, which we remember is the lifelong journey of knowing God and making him know known through embracing the biblical story, Christian belief, and Christian practice in community. And scripture teaches that what we actually believe is going to either launch us toward that journey or launch us away from it. (laughs) Like what we believe about who God is and what he's done is actually going to draw us toward that lifelong journey or it's going to move us away from that. And here's what the scripture talks about when it talks about what we believe and why that matters. I want you to go to second Thessalonians chapter two. This is Paul writing to a church that he planted and he's writing years later back to them. Starting in verse 13 of second Thessalonians chapter two, Paul says this, he says, but we ought to always give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord. So we, we, we should be giving thanks for those of you who God has loved because God has chose you because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. So Paul is saying, we're grateful for you because God chose to save you. And how did he choose to save you through belief in the truth, not belief in my truth. Not belief in Zach's truth or Danny's truth or Brianna's truth. None of that. None of that. Through the truth, not my truth, not your truth, not what's true for you, what's true for me, through the truth. And what is the truth? Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold fast to to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. What is Paul talking about? The traditions he's talking about is the gospel of of who Jesus is and what he has done about his sinless life, about his substitutionary death on the cross for our sin and for our salvation And by his resurrection from the dead on the third day, his ascension and enthronement in heaven and the fact that he is going to come back again. And Paul is saying, stand firm and hold fast to that. Don't be swayed by all of the conflicting messages that our culture will constantly bombard us with. Don't be swayed with what culture is going to beg us to buy into, whether that's actually purchased with our money or the philosophies of this world, that the world is calling us to buy into those philosophies and to orient our lives around a worldly wisdom in a worldly way, rather than orienting our lives around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is stand 
firm and hold fast to the things that were passed down to you, that were taught to you, either, either by the apostolic teaching or by the written letter, which we now preserve, we have in the New Testament. And so Paul is saying, stand firm and hold fast to what you've been taught through the scriptures. But if we're honest, and if we are, are, are being just a little bit self-aware, we might recognize that were we surveyed, <laughs> were we surveyed about Christian belief, we might struggle with that survey as well. And it's not simply about getting the right answers, like it's, you know, multiple choice, just choose C if you're not really sure. It's not about passing a test. It's not about having all the right knowledge, like head knowledge. In fact, the Bible says knowledge builds up, but love, or uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What it's about is knowing our God. What it's about is knowing the biblical story. What it's about is embracing Christian belief, not just any belief. What it's about is engaging in Christian practice, which we will get into next week more. But the invitation tonight is to stand firm and to hold fast to the disclosure from God about who he is and what he's done and how you fit into that story. And the reality is there's more of God to know than we could know in a lifetime times a lifetime, times a lifetime, times a lifetime to the infinity power. You know what I'm saying? And so the the invitation tonight is not like, well, you don't know enough of your Bible, son. You know, (laughs) that's not the invitation tonight because the truth is none of us know enough about who our God is. That, that, That whether you are still brand new, just trying to kind of figure this whole thing out and Maybe as I was sharing some of this stuff, you're like, I'm not sure what I believe about that. And that's okay. We are glad that you are here. We want to invite you on the journey of knowing who God is because he's better than the best thing you could ever imagine. And if you're here and you're like, yes, I follow Jesus. The invitation is to take seriously that God has disclosed who he is through his word and engage with that. Man, we're so excited because here at the Disney campus, we are starting a new Bible study. And this is one of the things that we're going to be doing more and more and more of at Mosaic, of engaging in deep Bible study so that we can embrace and understand what the biblical story actually is, that we can embrace and believe Christian belief, not just cultural belief, and that we can engage uh, in Christian practice uh, together. And, And this incredible Bible study opportunity is called One Story. And it just teaches that the scriptures are a unified story that leads us to Jesus. We just did a sermon series on this. If you were with us, it was called Jesus True and Better. But this is going to be a study format where we're going to dive deeper into that. And so I would encourage you to take part in that if you have any opportunity to do so. Because the opportunity and the invitation for all of us is not to know more facts, to know more data. But it's to know God. Could you imagine if in my pursuit of my wife, Lauren... I just sat across the table from her and grilled her, asking her facts about herself so that I could then recite those facts to others and prove how much I love her. Would that get me very far in our relationship? No, that's not hot. You know what I'm saying? 
that, that's not hot, okay? When you're married, like, like you gotta work at intimacy and, and like grilling your spouse for facts and figures is not hot, okay? It's not attractive, it's not fun. But when I engage with Lauren in conversation, I, I, I stare at her from across the table and I ask her about her deepest thoughts and emotions and desires and hopes and dreams and plans for the future and goals and who she wants to be and how God is shaping her and how he wants to conform her to his image. And how am I probably a roadblock to that? Like, those conversations, they spark intimacy and and we get closer together and we love one another better and better and better. Not so that I can just spew some facts about her, but so that I can know her and that she can know me and that through that knowledge and understanding that we would love one another more deeply. And God is inviting us to know him in that way. In fact, marriage is just like a, just a tiny picture of what God wants for his relationship between us and himself. So tonight, the invitation is to look in the mirror for just a moment and ask the question, what is indoctrinating me? What is it that I believe? Where did I get those beliefs from? And do they line up with how God has disclosed himself through his word? And if not, why not? And how can I embrace what God has taught about himself so that I can live in light of that. That's the invitation. The invitation is to step into understanding who God is so that you can have intimate fellowship with your creator because he's more glorious than anyone or anything that we could ever imagine. And he's so kind to want to know you and me. So much so that he sent his son, his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to forgive us for our sin, that through faith in him, we could be made in right relationship with God. Though we fell and we sinned and we rebelled and we broke relationship with God, God loved us enough and was kind enough to us to send his son, Jesus. Jesus who willingly walked up Calvary, got on a cross, died on the cross so that we could have salvation, that we could know our creator. And then he didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the dead so that we could not only know God, but have eternal life in him. This is what we believe. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. And I hope that we can all walk that journey together. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you do love us, uh, that you don't just simply want us to know facts and figures and stats about who you are. Not just a list of things that we can rattle off to impress anyone or to prove anything or anything else we might want to do. But God, that we have an opportunity to know you, that you have disclosed yourself to us through your word and through your son, Jesus. So God, I pray that we would all be ready to embrace the journey, the lifelong journey of following after you, to know you, and then to be able to make you known as a result. God, I thank you for this time that we've been together tonight. I pray that it would be an encouragement to all of us to hold fast and to stand firm, not to what the culture would like to give us, but to what you have disclosed to us through your word. And God, we ask that 
as we embrace what it looks like, what it means to believe in Jesus and what he's done, that that would change everything about us, that that would orient our lives around you and around who you are and around your love and around who you have called us and invited us to be. God, help us to know you more because God, we trust that you are better than anything this world has to offer. You're better than all the pleasure, all the material gain. You're better than all of the cultural philosophy. You're better than the closet. You're better than anything else. That you're the God of the universe, our Father. We thank you for loving us. And we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.